Welcome back, everybody. It's Kevin Gork from Bally Sports North. You have found Wooden Sticks, where we are going to have hockey conversations with some of the legends of the game. We're going to take a walk back in time and learn about the game in a different era, before the internet, before cable TV even, before all these incredible equipment that these players use these days. Yeah, Wooden Sticks is a throwback to at least my era, 70s and 80s. We might go deeper uh, here on the show. But uh, today is going to be a really fun episode for me. You know, we're going to connect with a lot of different people in the game of hockey. Some of these folks I know really well, some I don't know that well at all. Uh, We're going to try to bring them all to you if you love the game. And Pat Micheletti, to me, is synonymous with Minnesota hockey. He currently does a ton of work, both nationally and locally. He's covered college hockey for years. He's covered the Golden Gophers, covers the Minnesota Wild, Minnesota Wild fan line after a lot of the radio broadcasts. You'll find him and his great hockey opinions. But Pat is just a genuine, special human being. Grew up in Hibbing, Minnesota, back in the heyday of hockey on the Iron Range. I had a, a family where he was the ninth of nine and uh, ended up being just a superstar player for Hibbing back in the day and would go on to be well, the type of player at the University of Minnesota that uh, you put on the mural. You walk into to Mariucci Arena, you can just see Pat Micheletti front and center with Neil Broughton and some of the all-time greats that wore the maroon and gold. And, and to me, Pat has always had that twinkle in his eye when he talks about the game. He just loves hockey, and it comes out in everything he does. I respect so much his passion for this great game of hockey, and I want to hear more of the story because when Pat and I get together, we're talking about the wild season that's current. We're talking about what the Golden Gophers are doing. Sometimes we'll even sneak in some high school hockey conversation because we both loved our time playing here in the state of Minnesota, but I rarely get a chance to ask Pat Micheletti about where it all started, how he became the player that he was, and he was a legendary player for the Golden Gophers. But I don't know the backstory. I don't know the details. I get a chance to bump into his brother, who's a tremendous broadcaster with uh, MSG out in New York, and, and Joe's awesome, and, and I get a chance to visit with him every time I, I see him along the way. But but I've never heard the, the backstory of his mom and dad and, and uh, you know, growing up, fighting for food, trying to figure out where to sleep in a, in a tiny house in Hibbing, Minnesota, and how that house could produce just multiple star athletes along the way and, and just great people. Bottom line is when you meet any of the, the Micheletti family, they're just solid human beings. So today's going to be a fun episode for me. I'm really looking forward to connecting uh, with Pat Micheletti. I think you're going to love some of the stories that Pat will bring out It'll take you back to a time in the 1970s when hockey was just different. The state tournament was just a little bit bigger. The world was probably a little smaller, but it made events like the Minnesota High School Hockey Tournament just seem a little bit bigger. And and Pat Micheletti has some wonderful stories on that. We're going to talk a little bit about Herb Brooks and how that ties in, even though he didn't play for Herbie. Remember, you know, the Olympics and that miracle on ice happened in 1980. Pat Micheletti played for the Gophers in the early 80s. So that was Brad Buto's time as head coach. But how that connection played a piece and how back in the day, Pat Micheletti had to decide between not one or two, but probably 10 or 12 Division I programs. The powers in college hockey all came calling for this Pat Micheletti guy out of this little town in Hibbing, Minnesota. I'm talking North Dakota, Wisconsin. Minnesota, Michigan, Michigan State, they all wanted Pat Micheletti and how he maybe ended up at the University of Minnesota. So there's going to be a lot of really fun hockey conversations. It's Wooden Sticks. We'll be back after a quick break with the great Pat Micheletti. 
Kevin Gorg back on Wooden Sticks. Looking forward to this conversation with one of my dear friends, Pat Micheletti. We'll get to learn all about Hibbing hockey back in the 70s, uh, setting all kinds of scoring records in the 80s for the Golden Gophers at the U of M. And then we'll put Pat Micheletti through the hat trick hot seat at the end of our conversation. Mick Tockett, great to, uh, to be with you here today. Uh, I, I, you know, once you uh, got in touch with me, I was pumped, so pumped. And, uh, I, you know, I always love our conversations. Uh, so many stories, so many great things to talk about. Well, in this market here in the Twin Cities, so many people know that voice, synonymous with college hockey, golden gopher hockey, wild hockey on wild fan line. But you and I, you know, we talk all the time about current hockey, about, you know, whether it's the gophers, whether it's the wild, the state tournament. But I, I don't think we've had a ton of time to converse about the Pat Micheletti story. I mean, I know a lot of it because I grew up in the 70s and 80s, but I think for our listeners, they get your opinion on a lot of the teams that are currently playing, but we don't always get to tap into Hibbing, Minnesota, 1970s, nine uh, siblings in your family. Just take Mm -hmm. us back in time because, you know, Wooden Sticks to me, this podcast is all about going back in time and, you know, we're going to get into the, the equipment you first used and you were a an offensive force wherever you played, but let's go back to where it all started in Hibbing, Minnesota. How, how did that set you up to be the broadcaster you are now, but the hockey player you were back in the day? Uh, I, I, t- I tell you what, it, it all starts with my siblings, <laughs> my brothers, um, who taught me tough love, who, who showed me the ropes, who showed me how to act how you're supposed to act, um, all, all of those things. I, I, I literally, with, without my brothers showing me the way, and my sisters, because uh, I'm the ninth of nine, uh, uh, you know, w- without them, there, there's just, there, there is no Pat McLeddy, uh in what he is today and whatever that is. But um, th- there's just no doubt, you know, my brothers um, led the way uh, for me. Ninth of nine. So what is mealtime like in the Micheletti <laughs> household in the 70s? Well, picture this, Kevin. And, and I always, whenever I go back up there, I bring my kids. Uh, I used to bring them when they, when they were re- really little to our house on 2901 3rd Avenue West in Hibbing. And it's a three-bedroom house, Kevin, Ooh. for nine people. For, wow. for nine kids. All right. We just, you kind of slept wherever. Uh, we went through 60 gallons of milk a week. We had a milkman <laughs> who, who brought, who every morning brought it, brought, you know, with the milk truck, with the, uh, with the, do you remember the glass? Maybe you don't. Yeah, I do. No, the, I do. The, the, the glass um, yes. containers, you know, if you will. And uh, it was just, it was a free for all. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, my father, who, you know, worked seven days a week uh, at at the furniture store that that uh, you know that he managed. Uh, he made it crystal clear. You know, my mother is untouchable. You treat her with respect, and you do what she says. Period. And it was just a kind of from the top on down to the bottom. The whoever who, there, there was one little room, Kevin, and my mom used to be a nurse, right? Uh, at the at the Mayo Clinic at and St. Mary's in Rochester, and I don't know how we obtained this, but we had a, a one of those crank up hospital beds, and uh, the oldest oldest sibling got that little room. It was about the size of a closet, 
right? Right. And you could fit the bed in there. And that's about it. But but the point being is that, you know, the 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 leadership start started at the at the top with my brother Tom and then filtered on down. And, you know, it just it, it just went that way where you knew um, you know, that you had to be on 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 the on your best behavior and and um it w- it was just the way we kind of operated things i had i had a chore to do as every saturday it was clean the house day right and i had one job and that was to clean the closet and sweep the stairs going down to the basement done <laughs> everyone else had um their their other their other chores and but but that's how we that's how we functioned and um you know, of course, there's a lot of a lot of fights at the dinner table, and you know, with the with the brothers and sisters, and I, and all of that. No different than anybody else, but um, but it was. Uh, I tell you what, it, uh, being the youngest, uh, you certainly learned a lot. Well, you had brothers that ended up being great hockey players, so I imagine, yep. as the youngest, that's kind of the segue that brought you to the game. What was the uh, the transition like when you first started playing hockey? Tell me about the gear you had, the sticks you used, compare it to what we have now. And because you had nine kids in your family, you know, yeah. I'm certain getting the best gear probably wasn't an option for the Micheletti family. So I, I actually, um, my brother, Tom, my first pair of skates I, I, I ever wore were uh, my brother, Tom, bought me a pair when I was three years old. That's when I started skating. When I was three, oh. we had a little uh, rink in, in our backyard. And, and trust me, when I say little, it was, it was little because we didn't have a, a very big backyard. Um, and then the rest, the rest was all hand-me-downs. And we had a closet in, in our laundry room, okay? Uh, and we had, and it, it, it had um, actually um, shelving and, and, you know, all that, right? And all the equipment was put there, whether it be basketballs, tennis balls, tennis rackets, whatever. All of the sporting equipment was there. And he just kind of went there and say, huh, I need shin pads today. Where are they? And, you know, you grab an, an old pair that Tom wore as a Bantam or whatever the case may be. But that that's how, you know, that's how we did things. And, and no, I, I did not get my, really my, my stuff that was bought for me until I was like a, a peewee, a Bantam, something like that. Other than that, it was whatever's that whatever we have, you're wearing it. And whether it was too big, too small, um, that that's how it was. And, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, when you're feeding, um, nine kids and, and then, and then putting some through school, uh, through college as they went off on their way, luckily, luckily, Kevin, um, most of my family was able to get hockey scholarships. Uh, we only had one of my brothers, went to North Dakota and played football, walked on and, you know, whatever. But, but, but the rest of us, uh, were all, uh, you know, lucky, lucky enough to, to get scholarships. And, and I think a Hibbing, Minnesota at that time, uh, and, and the hockey that was played in that part of Minnesota and, and how good it was. So by the time you get to high school and, and you've watched some of your brothers come through and, and become big time players, there's some expectations there, Pat. There's some expectations that you've got to live up to. For a young man, is is that transition kind of unfolded? Uh, what was it like for you? Well, it, it was hard because you know, it, even though you know, Hibbing is the biggest city on the range population wise, it was back then. 
but but uh, and in 1973, my brother Joe, um, uh, and, and this is a this is a great story, Kevin. And a lot of people don't don't remember what happened, but 1973, uh, Hibbing lost to International Falls in the Section Seven uh, finals. So uh, automatically, um, I should say region because they didn't call them section back then. That's right, region. Okay, so Hibbing loses to uh, International Falls. International Falls was a power back then, and more so than Grand Rapids. It was it was Hibbing and the Falls back in the early seventies, and and then so what happened back then was there was was called a backdoor game. Yes. So the loser of, and I believe Hibbing ended up playing Thief River Falls, they lost to Bemidji in their in their region final. And so Hibbing ended up playing Thief River Falls in the in the uh in, in that game to have the right to go to the state tournament. It was the backdoor is what they called it back then. A second and, you know, chance, and, right? It was like a second yeah, chance. Yeah, it was for the a second teams. chance. Yes. Where do you get? And, and and then they eventually got rid of that. Um, but and then and then Hibbing in their first game, well, they 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 faced the section or the region final, uh, Bemidji, uh, coached by Chuck Grillo, hmm. and Hibbing upsets them. And then in the semifinals, they play International Falls, and Hibbing upsets them. Oof. And then in the in the in the uh, in the in the championship game, Hibbing played a team that no longer exists, and that would be uh, a Ramsey. Yeah, it was Ramsey. Alexander Ramsey. Yep, is what. Remember them? I do. Out, right, right by outside of Roseville, and they beat them. And in that tournament, my brother Joe had eight goals and three assists <laughs> in 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 that tournament. They scored his line. In that championship game, scored three goals in 23 seconds. Three Jeez. goals in 23 seconds. It's got to be a and, record. Uh, that will never be broken. Yeah, it, it was. You know, so those are the memories that really come back to me. And that was my first time ever in, in Minneapolis. You know, my parents, I begged and pleaded <laughs> for them to take me down. Right? I mean, we've got a bunch. Who are you going to take? Right? And I said, Yeah, I got. I got to be there. And uh, I remember watching from the Met Center and we stayed at the Marriott, right? Right. Yes. You know, you walk right there, right? You're right the Met next Center door. was the greatest. I don't have to tell you the Met Center was the greatest. It was. But um, but but watching that tournament and and something like that just fuels your drive to want to get there someday. And I was only 11 years old at the time, 10 years old. And uh, or yeah, I was yeah, nine or 10. Uh, at the time. And, you know, it was the biggest thrill of my life. I'll never forget it. My, my first trip to the state tournament. So I'm trying to do the math. Uh, this is probably a little later in the seventies. And yeah. my dad took me down in the morning to, to go to the early sessions. And I walked into the St. Paul civic center with the bands, the cheerleaders, the student sections, the clear boards. And, and I, I hate to put it this way, but it was like crack cocaine. I was a little yeah. kid. My eyes were wide as saucers. And I was like, this is heaven. Like this is, yeah. this is hockey heaven. And, and so the deal I made with my dad was every single year on that, on that weekend, if, if I was halfway decent in school, wasn't in trouble, he'd take me to the games on Thursday. We'd go to Gallivan's 
and hang out with all those old golf pro cronies in right. between the sessions right. and then go to the night session. It was more important than any other date on the calendar. Christmas, birthday, none of it mattered to me. But just like, and then I knew as a young hockey player, I was going to do whatever I had to do to get back there, Pat. That was all I cared yeah. about. Yeah, I, I, I've got a, I've got a, a great story for you that, you know, growing up in, in small town Hibbing, you have nothing to do, right? right? I mean, there's not a ton of, of, of things to do. So you're either, you know, you're on the outdoor rink or playing, you know, basketball, whatever. It, 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 you know, you, you just had to keep busy. Well, I used to, uh, you know, I, I lived at the rink, right? And in the summers, um, you know, the, the, the team, the other schools um, around the Iron Range, Hibbing was the only one that had ice during the summer. So um, Eveleth would rent the ice, Grand Rapids, Virginia. And so during the summer, I just hang out there. And a lot of times guys don't show up, right? Ah, I don't want to make the drive tonight. So they would need, they would need players and, you know, just to, just to come out and, you know, so they'd have enough to, to scrimmage. And so I was always there and they'd say, Hey, you want to come out? Sure. And I'd be, and I'd be playing with high school kids. Right. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, and, and whether it be, uh, you know, uh, Mark, Mark Pavlich, right. Mark Pavlich oh, wow. taught me the game. He taught me the game. You know, because when Eveleth would come, would come over, you know, they would need guys all the time. And then he'd, he'd show me, okay, you might, you might want to try this. You might want to try that. And then, you know, you, and you, Mark Pavlich was a stud, right? Yes. And, and, and so you just learn from that. And, it, and, and then I get to know all these guys, right? You know, whether it be the Rothstein family from Grand Rapids, the, you know, the Pavlich, the Harringtons from Virginia, you know, Hendrickson's, all these people. Well, lo and behold, KG, I, you know, I, cause I got to know Bill Baker and, and, and Jim Jetlin and all, all of those guys from Grand Rapids. Gus Hendrickson was the coach. Uh, Mike Sertich was, was the assistant coach. And so they were the power in the seventies. They were, you know, the, after Hibbing won in 73, it was all Grand Rapids. So I'm hanging around these guys and they, in the sec and the region final game is played in Hibbing before, you know, 4,000 in front of 4,000 people. And, you know, I was kind of their lucky charm. <laughs> At least they told me that. And so they, they make it to state. Now I'm a Hibbing guy, right? Right. And, but I'm still young, little, you know, you know what, and uh, just kind of hanging around being a pain in the ass. And uh, I said, Hey, I got to come to the state tournament with you. Cool. And they're, and they're laughing and yeah, we, yeah, we got to get them. And, and somehow, some way no. I was able to go down. They, I stayed with the team. Uh, I got to know Gus Hendrickson's son, who was, who was my age. And uh, he and I had, all right, you can stay with uh, Gusty. They, his name was Gusty Gus and uh, little Gus. And uh, so I was with the Grand Rapids team. I think it was 1977, 78, somewhere in that time frame. The Halloween and, uh, machine. I was, I was their stick boy. Oh my god! On gosh. the bench, you know, with, with the Grand Rapids Indians. Jim Jetlin with that mask. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clafton was the other goaltender oh. and, you know, Billy Rothstein and, and Bill, B I mean, all these Phenomenal guys. Teams. And it was, it was, um, you know, I, it was, it was a blast, but I had to be there and, uh, and they wanted me there and they, and, and they, and they took a little punk from Hibbing <laughs> with them on their team bus all, <laughs> to the state tournament that year. What a thrill. I mean, what a thrill. And, and it, it gives you, again, it gives you kind of a, you're, you're 
you're kind of going behind the curtain a little bit and seeing, yep. you know, firsthand what it's like to watch these high school kids live out their dream. That that state tournament at that time, I mean, it's always been big. It still is big, oh. but there was something magical about the late 70s and early 80s with that state tournament. One class, little schools, yes. big schools, didn't matter. It was such a big deal. So now bring us to Hibbing when you're a, a yep. high school player. If you have to pick one game still to this day that stands out as your very favorite game, your very favorite memory from playing <laughs> for Hibbing, what would that one game be, Mick? Well, there, there's a lot of them, but but you got to remember, and as I as I alluded to, Grand Rapids was the power. Yes, and I I, I was lucky enough. Uh, my line mates and I, uh, the the Hooper twins, oh, um, so good. Were were you know we we played as freshmen, and Whew. and for my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year. We lost, we lost to Rapids every year in, in the section final. And um, it was like, ah, oh, you know, I mean, are we ever going to beat them? And finally, my, my senior year, we, uh, in fact, I, I was a captain of that team. I, I don't know. Don't ask me why, but I was. <laughs> and I, I remember, I'm like, I, I was thinking the day of the game, you know, what do we got to do to change this? What do we have to do? So I went, it was the morning of the game and we're, we're in school and I went to the principal's office and I said, Hey, is it okay if I get everybody, our, our team, I want to, I want to talk to them. Um, is there, you know, can, can you get everybody out of class? And so at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I got, you know, Scott Sandlin and I, he was the alternate captain and we had talked about this um, and, and, and he let us do this. And we just, I just went in there. I was like, guys, and, and Scott, you know, same way, guys, this is it, man. We, we, we can't just be okay getting here. We got to get to the tournament. This is it. And I, I don't know if they'd help that night, but we, um, we finally, finally beat Grand Rapids. And they were, you know, they were loaded again, you know, that year, like they are every year. And to this day, they still are. Where was and, that uh, game and, at? And, Which rink was was that section uh, final in? Uh, it was in Hibbing. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, it, and it and it was and you know, I mean, it was, you know, the fire marshal just said whatever, you know, <laughs> and it was. I, I think there were close to five thousand people in the building that night, and it was um, crazy. And you know, I don't even know if I scored in that game or not or whatever. It, it was just, it was the thrill of finally, finally having the opportunity to make it to St. Paul. And, um, and, and we did. And, uh, you know, that was, um, that, that would, that to me, uh, you know, uh, individual, all that stuff, that didn't matter. I mean, we, we just, you know, as a group really wanted to, to get there and, and, and get there for, for George Perpich, who won the title in 1952. That's how long he'd been coaching. Oh. And this was going to be his last year. Oh and so gosh. we wanted to do it for big George and, uh, and, you know, and, and we did, and, uh, you know, what, what a great way he retired at the end of, uh, end of that season. And, uh, you know, we, we sent him out in a good way. And Mick, to me, there's always been something magical about high school hockey in Minnesota and the secret sauce to that magic is always section playoffs specifically yep section finals when you take a look at section finals the crowds to your to your point are always 
jam-packed, especially the mm-hmm. big games. And these kids come to the rink knowing that in the next few hours, one of these teams is going to see their lifelong hockey dream come to fruition. The other is going to see not only their season end, but for some of these kids, their hockey careers and everything. Yep. All the chips are on the table. The emotion involved with these games is second to none. And that's what keeps me coming back when it comes to high school hockey in Minnesota. We saw it already uh, in the opening night of playoff hockey in this year's sections, yes. where a team from St. Cloud goes up to Rozo in their <laughs> building as the seven seed and beats the two seed. There is just something that's extraordinary about section hockey in the state. And you and I are the same where the state tournament was awesome. We ended up winning it. But to me, the night that I will never forget is the section final at the Met Center, Burnsville against John Marshall. Sean Pauline scores two goals on me in the opening six minutes, and we're down to rip. It takes a goal from now Buffalo Sabres head coach Donnie Granado in the closing minute to win that hockey game. And otherwise, we ne- I never play in the state tournament. So it's just, it's extraordinary. I can only imagine inhibiting. Well, now you're taking me back, right? Because we had to play the semifinal game at the Hippodrome in Eveleth, oh. right? And we're playing against a really good Virginia team. Really good. Yes. And they took us to overtime. So it, the dream could have ended before oh. we even got to the to the, uh, uh, you know, to the final and uh, a, a kid who hadn't scored a lot during the season ends up getting the game winner. He never went on to play. That was it. <laughs> that was his Stanley cup right there. And you know what? I mean, we, we are, we are just, first of all, we were thrilled to win, but we were thrilled for him. And uh, you know, and that, that's the stuff that just, you know, is, is incredible. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something about how good the iron range was. My senior year, get this, KG, there were 16 players on the iron in the Iron Range Conference who went on to Division I that year. That's unbelievable. 16. And now if you get one out of the Iron Range, right. you're lucky. 16 you know? in one year. And it's yeah. a perfect segue I mean, for me because, you know, wooden sticks, we're, we're trying to shine the light back on a different era and a different time. Yeah. And I, I try to explain to kids these days, and I had a chance to talk to Mike Luckcraft's Northfield Raiders over the weekend, get them pumped up for a, yeah. a section playoff run that's coming up here. What a job he's done with, been with, uh, with Northfield. And, and what, a, what a just a wonderful, wonderful person. And when I talk to kids, I remind them that back in our era, Mick, you know, there was no internet. There was no texting. Like we got an envelope in the mail that showed that the college was interested in us. So (laughs) we know that you ended up on the mural uh, at the uh, arena where the Gophers play at 3M Mariucci, whatever you want to call. So I want to know if for a kid in Hibbing, how that recruiting process started. Was there mail? Were there coaches that came to you? And, and how did you end up being a golden Gopher? Well, this is a really, uh, you know, yes, uh, I started getting mail when I was in ninth grade. And I, I remember getting my first piece of literature from Harvard. And I laughed. I'm like, yeah, no, no chance. Uh, but the guy, uh, uh, Val Belmonte was his name. He was the head coach. Or, excuse me. He was the assistant coach at, at Harvard at the time. And, uh, and my brother Tom had played at Harvard. And so, you know, there, there's a little connection there, but, but, 
And I'm just like, you know, and, but he kept on and kept on and kept on. But how I got to Minnesota is the question. And well, you know, we, because the iron range was loaded with, with players, you would get, um, you would get the, 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 the assistant coach, the recruiters were up on the range all the time. And, and, you know, I, I had, I had a lot of offers. Okay. Um, you know, throughout the, throughout the country and, and, um, Dean Blaze was the assistant coach at North Dakota and they, uh, they were the first team to offer me. I think I was, a, uh, I don't know my, my, in my senior year. All right. Cause they, they could, no one, no one, no one signed early. None no. of that ever happened. Are you kidding me? Uh, but my senior year, you know, Dean Blaze, um, who was from international falls and knows my family, you know, you know, and he played at the U and you know, Dean, he's sure. Just, a wonderful person, but he was the um, assistant coach at, at North Dakota. And so he offers me a full scholarship and he, you know, he says that whenever you're ready, just let us know one way or the other. And they're a power. And, I mean, North Dakota and, is a power at that point. Yeah. They, they were a power, they were power. And, and, uh, and so, but, but it really quick story is that Dean used to come up and recruit other players up on the iron range. So what he would do, he would drive from Grand Forts, Grand Forks, whether we were playing or not, he would stop at our house. My mother would make him dinner. Okay. And then he would go to either, you know, Grand Grand Rapids, Virginia, the fall, wherever. Right. But he'd stop at my house and I wouldn't even see him sometimes. So he's and a my family mom would friend. Make him, so now you're... my mom would make him dinner and, sure. and then he'd be, he'd be off. Um, and, you know, and that was a real, real hard one. See, part of, part of the problem um, with, with, with my recruiting. And, and, and this is the honest to God's truth. I was never recruited by Minnesota per se. Okay. Huh. Didn't talk to him. Didn't get letters from him. Nothing. It was assumed that I was automatically going there and other schools assumed I was automatically going there. I went on a, on a recruiting trip to Wisconsin and uh, Grant Stanbrook, who's from the iron range, was the assistant to, to Bob Johnson. And he said, yeah, we're going to bring you in and, you know, and, and, you know, they're playing North Dakota. It's going to be a great series, blah, blah, blah. He says, okay, tomorrow you're going to have lunch with, with Bob Johnson. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I go to lunch with Bob Johnson and he did not ask me one thing about me. He asked me about Jim Johansson, Dave Maley, you know, Wally, all, all the guys that he was recruiting. What do you think of them? What huh. do you do? Da, 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 da. I'm like, what's going on here? And, and, uh, you know, he, cause he knew, he knew that. And well, he thought, and I, you know what? I was really interested in Wisconsin. I really truly was, but I couldn't get anybody to believe me. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I never got offered a scholarship from Wisconsin. Uh, and, Duluth, same thing. Mike Sertich came to one of our games. We were playing Corey Millen and, uh, and Cloquet, and they really wanted Millen, and they thought they could snatch Millen away from Minnesota and because, you know, Cloquet so close to Duluth, all that. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we play Cloquet. They beat us, whatever. And uh, after the game, uh, you know, uh, you know he, Sertich is talking to Millen and da-da-da-da-da, and you know, giving him all the accolades and this. So he comes up to me after he gets talking to Millen and he says, 
He says, Patrick, he says, I'm, we're not going to recruit you. You're not coming here. So we're not going to waste our time. Wow. And I didn't even, you know, and, and this is like, are you kidding me? Before you even had a you chance know, to say no. I didn't even have a chance to say no. And, and so I'm, I'm waiting. Uh, you know, we play in the state tournament. I still haven't committed to anywhere. Huh. You know, Denver's waiting. Uh, Michigan state's waiting. Michigan's waiting, you know, uh, you know, for an answer. I get nothing from Minnesota. Still? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. And then all of a sudden, uh, out of the blue, uh, Brad Buto uh, comes up to the house. And, uh, and my, you know, and my dad, proud, you know, Dio, he's got his two other sons that were captains and national champions there. Brad comes in our house and he says, well, you know, um, I have this much money left. Uh, I got to give Millen the full. I'll g- I'm going to give you three quarters. I'm- and my dad looks at him, three quarters? Are you kidding? You know? And and then, so I'm like, oh, what do I do? He did promise me the rest of the three years, uh, the, the remaining three years, I would be on full. So, so I, you know, and my parents let me decide where I wanted to go. And you know, I'm, you know, I've got all, nothing but full scholarships on the table. Oh. And, um, and so, you know, it just, my, my, my love for, for the, for the university, my experiences as a little kid, uh, with her Brooks and, right. you know, I, l- listen, I had free access as a little kid to the locker room, to the bench, to wherever I wanted to go. And <laughs> And Herbie said, this kid can go anywhere. So just leave him alone. <laughs> and, you know, and that was it. I mean, he'd be ripping the team and, and and I was right there for all of that. But anyhow, anyhow, I digress. I have to call Gino Gasparini who, at, at, at North Dakota and tell him, you know, I decided that I'm going to go to Minnesota. There are tribes. I called, I called Gino Gasparini. I said, Gino, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I'm going to Minnesota. And there was this click and he hung up on me. That was it. He thought he had me. I thought I was going there. And then I, you know, eventually just decided to, to go to Minnesota on a three quarters scholarship. When you turned all down those full rides. Right. Yeah. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, but, but, that, but that's, uh, that's how my recruiting was. It was, it was really, really um, strange to say the least. Well, you go on to score 120 goals in, in four seasons. Wearing the maroon and gold, and I go back to that era at the yep. old Mariucci. You talk about magic in a building, and and I've brought that word oh. up before talking about high school hockey. But as a kid walking into that building, and you mentioned it, you spent time there when your your brothers were there around Herb Brooks, around the program, uh, one of the most dominant programs in the history of college hockey in that era. What was it like being a member of that team, especially with the expectations again, Mick? Just like at Hibbing, when yep. you're when you're wearing that name on your back, uh, and you've got the credentials that you brought to the table, and all those schools were recruiting you, that's a ton of pressure for a kid. And now uh, you're going from Hibbing in that that cute little house where the the nine kids grew yep. up to the big city. I got to imagine that wasn't easy. Well, here here's the deal, uh, KG, and 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 I I say this in in truthfulness to this day, and I get laughed at by some of these people. But I'm indebted. I'm indebted to Bill Baker, to Rob McClanahan, to Steve Kristoff, uh, to uh, you know all of all of those guys 
that that were there. I'm in, I'm indebted to Butsy Erickson and Scott Bugstead and Dave Jensen. Hmm. All of those guys taught me how to be a gopher. And, 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 and this, this can apply to St. Cloud, St. Thomas, make How, how do you represent your team? I was more feared uh, in fear of, of what it meant to wear the M than I was about playing. I wasn't worried about my capability as a player. I was more concerned about, am I representing the U? Am I acting like a gopher? Am I, am I making my family um, proud of the way that I'm acting? And, and that was the, that, that was the biggest, um, uh, uh, well, not, you know, inside fear that I, that I had. And so, um, you know, you, you just, I, like I said, I, I, I tell these guys to this day, uh, and Rob McClanahan laughs at me all the time. I said, I'm in awe of you. And, and I wasn't, I mean, that's the, you know, all those guys went on to play in the 80 Olympic team and, you know, all, all of that stuff and, and the relationship that I had with, with, with her Brooks and he had with our family. I mean, this is a guy, Kevin, who would, you know, had found out that first my father passed away. He flies home from Montreal and drives up to Hibbing in a sto- snowstorm to be at my father's funeral. Come on. He is in, he, he was somewhere else when my mother passed away. And, and he made the trek up to Hibbing to my mother's funeral. That's how close he was to my parents. And, and my, cause my, my father, if you knew him, he, um, you know, he, he never, he wasn't an athlete. He wasn't involved, but he would, he would lecture Herbie about, um, you know, different facets of life and, and Herbie listened to him. And it, it was the craziest thing, you know, never talked about Joe's not playing, you know, on the power play. Don's not doing this, that, or the other thing. He said, I'm dropping. Hey, these kids are under you now, you know, so you, you do, you deal with them how you have to deal with them. But, but he would just, Herbie wanted to, you know, just learn so much about other facets of life and and things like that. And it was, it was, um, you know, it was really, it was really, uh, you know, fun to be a part of and watch. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, oh, dad, be quiet. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still a young kid trying to get recruited. And, you know, Herbie had left obviously for the Olympics, but, but um, I, I, I have a great story about my, my brother, Don, that, that, that I have, have to share with you. Okay. Absolutely. So 1976 KG, uh, I've never been on an airplane, Hibby, or, uh, Minnesota, and they were a power then, right? I mean, right. they made it to three national championships in a row. And uh, either they beat Michigan Tech or lost to Michigan Tech in the final. And, you know, they won two. Um, uh, but anyhow, so my parents let me go uh, with them to Denver for the 1976 national championship, the final four. Ooh. And so hit, uh, so Minnesota plays Boston University, Michigan Tech versus Brown. Michigan Tech wins. Minnesota plays BU. They get in the big bench clearing brawl. Uh, Jim Boo, Russ Anderson, another yes. guy get kicked out of the game. So anyway, there's a day between games and, uh, and, and Minnesota's practicing. And of course 
I'm going to go to the morning skate, right? <laughs> Their practice. And Herbie's all alone up in the old DU arena, way up high. And, uh, and I'm there and he didn't go on the ice that day. He let his assistants run it. So he sees me and he calls me up to sit by him. Whoa. And, uh, and uh, sure, I'm going to go up and, you know, talk to him and tell him uh, how to beat Michigan tech tomorrow <laughs> night. <laughs> you know, and I'm at that time, I am 12, 13 years old, 13 years old. And first time on a plane, Western Airlines. Okay. So I'm up there, KG, and, and we start talking. He says, you know, I'm recruiting your brother, Don. And I said, yeah. Um, and Don had offered, and Don, after his senior year, went up to Canada to play because Don couldn't skate very well. And, uh, and so Herbie says, uh, here's the deal. Uh, you know, uh, Denver offered him a full ride. Colorado College offered him a full ride. And I only offered him a half right now. And I said, okay. He says, um, next time you talk to your brother, you tell him I'll give him a full when he tells me that he wants to be a gopher. Mm. I'm like, okay, I, I think I can do that. And Don was stubborn, right? We're all stubborn in For our own sure. ways. Hmm. So back then, you know, we just had the, 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 the phones and Don, you know, the, the regular phones were, you know, the dial ups, right. Put the money in. So make Don, the call. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pretty much at our house. Um, and so Don calls home every Sunday night from Canada and I, and he's talking to my mom and my dad, Hey, how are things? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm begging with my, my, with my mom, mom, I have to talk to Don. I have to talk to him. And it's, okay, yeah, say hi to Don, all right? But keep it quick, you know, this costs a lot of money, you know, <laughs> the, uh, you know, long-distance charges. For sure. So I'm like, I'm like, Don, I talked to Herbie, and all you have to do is just tell him you want to be a gopher. I'm not going there unless I get a full ride. I'm like, Don, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. Just tell him that you want to be a gopher, and everything will be fine. You know, because Herbie told me, don't tell him I'm going to give him a full ride. Just, I just want to hear from him that he, he wants to be a gopher. And finally, finally, KG, about two weeks later, Don says, yeah, I want to be a gopher. Herbie gives him a full ride. And, uh, you know, the, the rest is history. Your but first negotiation. Man, it, it was, it was, you know, and I'm a 13 year old kid and right? I'm trying to help recruit my brother to, to Minnesota. Oh my gosh. But, but the mind uh, games, but right? those I mean, were Herbie? the times I, I remember, you know, my, my, my biggest, um, uh, you know, people ask me, well, what's your you know most fun time with you? It was literally when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was watching Joe and Don and getting to meet all these guys and hobnob with them and. You know, Steve Kristoff would give me a stick to take home. I'd show all my buddies, look at this thing, <laughs> you know, look at this curve, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that, that's, um, you know, again, I got, you know, I, you know, older brothers that just kind of, you know, led the way for me and, and, um, and, and that was it. Awesome stuff, Mick. Awesome stories. I, I feel like now I have a, a different perspective. Uh, I, I knew that life in Hibbing was hockey centric, but just in the, in the Micheletti household, this, this stuff is just delicious. I, I love it, but now you gotta, you gotta take a, a chance here on the, uh, the hat trick hot yeah. seat. I'm going to put okay. you through three questions. Mick, the, the beauty of this is there's no wrong answer. This is just okay. from your heart, your passion, your favorite, whatever it is. 
So here comes the hat trick hot seat. We'll start with number one of three. Mick, your favorite hockey movie to watch is what? A slap shot, 100%. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> okay, let me ask you this. It's a it's the favorite of a lot of people that, that are our yep. age for sure. So when did you first get to watch it? Because for me, you know, that movie came out when I wasn't allowed to watch movies with those swear right, words in it. And right. This had a lot of swear words and a lot of other stuff that my parents probably wouldn't have approved of. And I'll never forget the first time I watched it. You know, we're at one of my buddies' houses. The name will will not be brought up here for many reasons. And it's a bootleg copy. And and back in those days, it was those VHS things you shoved right. in there. And kids these days have no idea. But we were all like, oh my God, this is it. This is Slapshot. So how old were you? And and how did you find your way to Slapshot? That's a great, that's a great question. I, I really can't answer that because I, I, I don't remember. I just <laughs> remember when it came out and we watched it. Oh. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I don't, I don't even have a, a great answer there for you. But it, it's still to this day, like if it's on the best, I, I oh can't stop watching. Like it, it, it stands the test of time. Paul Newman, um, that performance, the, the hockey it's not the greatest hockey scenes. No, but the movie is just old school fun. And then, and then you get to, you know, every time I watch it, I find someone else that I know. Yes. Who, who played a part in it, you know, from the goaltenders to the, you know, whatever. Um, it's just like, Oh my God. Yeah. I, yeah. I know him too. You know, Phenomenal. and I played against Steve Carlson. I played against them Isn't in the minors. Something? Oh, uh, you know, well, I love and, when, I, and, well, and Jack wasn't in the movie and, and, but you know, Jack was a teammate of mine too with the North stars. Carlson's. Oh God. Good stuff. All yeah. right. Now this next one, I'm sure you've got a lot of choices. Um, yep. but when you were a little kid, your hockey hero, the player that you wanted to emulate your game after, who did you look up to the most? N none other than Phil Esposito. Yes. None other. Not, you know, certainly not his size, not the same time, but I, but I lived in the, I lived where he lived and no one, he scored 76 goals in, in one season and he got them all from three feet in. And, uh, and he was just, and I got, you know, I, I'm fortunate in my life, um, you know, that I've gotten to know some of these people and I, and I got to know Phil and, you know, just, uh, he, he was my guy and, you know, those Boston Bruin teams, I, you know, growing up watching hockey night in Canada yep. every Saturday, you know, you'd, you'd get a Montreal, Boston game, a Toronto, Boston oh. game. It was the best. Well, I had the chance and, to meet uh, him for the so first I time back. You know, uh, we're in Tampa, what, two months ago. I'd never met Phil Esposito. Um, yep. Grew up idolizing his brother, the late great Tony Esposito. Tony. Yep. And so we're in the, the press box. It was a nationally televised game. So I wasn't working the wild Tampa game that night. And I bumped into him, introduced myself. I uh, told him who I worked for, told him I was good friends with, with Lou Nanny. And yep. that's of course is his buddy. And he gave me a couple of minutes of his time. And then I sat back and, you know, they had the radio broadcast of that game on in the press box. So I got to listen to him and like Lou Nanny, this guy's in his eighties and he's still sharp as attack. Like, it's this unbelievable. Guy is yes. So good at his craft. Yep. And uh, I was just, you know, it was one of those moments for me, uh, it, it made me feel like a kid again. At, at, at that time, you know, in my mid fifties, like I'm meeting Phil Esposito. This is hockey greatness. This is one of the icons in the game. So you picked a great one in Mr. Phil Esposito. My final question will be, this is not you as a player. This is you as a fan. 
the best hockey game that you ever either watched on TV or attended? If you had to pick just one, Mick, what would it be? Well, th- th- this was a game where I'm I'm watching the, the University of Minnesota, and it w- it was a heartbreaking game to be quite honest with you because they were playing Northern Michigan hmm. for the right to go to the Final Four, and Aaron Broughton took a shot from right inside the blue line, and Aaron Broughton could shoot the puck, <laughs> and the puck went through the net. All right. There was no replay. There was no uh, uh, footage you could, uh, you know, uh, go back and watch. To, yeah, to go back and watch. They they played. They on. called it a no goal, and that cost Minnesota. They ended up losing the game. That cost Minnesota from going to the Final Four. It was a fabulous, fabulous game, and. Um, you know, it was, it was really, uh, it was really heartbreaking, but I, 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 you know, the game itself, Northern Michigan was loaded, uh, with, you know, Steve Weeks was a goaltender. Remember him with the yes. New York Rangers and, and they had Don, uh, Waddell, who is now the, uh, the president of the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, they, they, they had a, they were loaded and, and, um, uh, it was, it was, it was a great game. It was a sad game. You know, because I wanted to go to the Final Four again with the, with Minnesota <laughs> and watch, <laughs> but but uh, you know that that was a that was a great game to me, and, and obviously you know the 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 Russian game with the eighty Olympic team was was fabulous. Uh, there's so many KG, it's hard to hard to pin down. I do want to ask you about that game because to me, there are some games that are you know, where were you at this time? Like yeah. for me, I I can I I'm back in my living room. In 1980, the week of my 13th birthday, I've got my buddies coming over for a pizza party. And people forget this. I've talked about this with Lou Nanny here on Wooden Sticks uh, earlier. And I was able to listen to the game on the radio that day because it was rebroadcast on ABC that night. Yes. People don't remember that. But this game- Yeah, well, we were on the ice. We li- we stopped high school practice and w- was li- were listening on a transistor radio. And so a lot of my friends are like, well, wait a minute. Nobody knew the score. Well, remember, there was no internet. So there was no tweeting and texting and all that garbage. It just just played out. And then ABC put it on and nobody knew any different. And it was, it looked like it was live. So where were you when that game was on? Like when you watched it? Yeah. I have one more for you. That's kind of a tearjerker. It was to me anyway. You know, I, I told you that my father you know, he just stayed out of, you know, my mom was my, my mom was the, the, you know, her and I used to fight for the sports page every morning, the Duluth <laughs> News Tribune, you know, it was, it was a race to the front door, but anyhow, um, so it's senior night, my last game ever at Mariucci, we're playing North Dakota. And, uh, and so they bring your parents out on senior night and, you know, and my mom and dad are there, they give her a picture, they, they you know, they give a, a picture of me and blah, blah, blah. And so I looked at my dad and I said, dad, tonight, this one's for you. And that's the first time I've ever seen a tear go down his face. Right. And it was just like, oh my God, now I really did something. Well, anyway, and I don't like to talk too much about my career or whatever, but that night, KG, we beat North Dakota six, nothing. I had four and two. Come on. Yeah. And I said, I mean, it was like, this was meant to be tonight. You called you know? your shot. I called my shot. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now that's a game. And, and again, that stays with yeah. you because 
you know, for me, the, the, the my hockey career hit its peak in 1985, the state championship. And yeah. for me, my favorite memory was in the locker room after the game. I don't remember much of the game. I remember yeah. after the game with my teammates, not wanting to take my gear up. But I also remember walking out of that locker room about an hour after that game and, and getting that hug from my mom and dad. Oh. And my dad didn't cry either. Like my dad was not yep. going to cry at anything, but they yep. had both had tears in their eyes. And then it hit me that this wasn't a journey that was just about me and the guys in that right. room. It was about everybody right. connected to us. And my parents had made so many sacrifices for me to get to that point. Oh. It meant as much to them as it did to me. And that yep. still chokes me up to this day. And so I think yeah. you look at that night against North Dakota, you know, your decision basically came down to those two schools. You're, you're wearing the moon and gold. Your dad and mom are so proud of who you've become and you go out there and put four and two on the board. Um, I, I gotta tell you that that's the stuff that the dreams are made of. Yeah. It, it's it was the best. And you know, it's like, yep, I, I didn't let you down, you know? Oh, that's so. there. There, That's exactly the, the mindset we all had. I didn't let you down. That kept us out of yep. trouble. Kept us yeah. working hard, right? I mean, for all of us, we're all a bunch of goofballs. We're hockey players. Yeah, we're idiots. We, you know, we, we just are. didn't want to let everybody you know, down. Look at Between... you and I act like we're 10 years old, or at least I do. Well, no, I'm with you every step of the way. Mick, I literally, and I mean this sincerely, I could do this for four hours in oh, a yeah. blink. Like you and I have have just talked for nearly an hour, and I, I could go on forever. We're going to do it again sometime and circle love back to. here on Wooden Sticks. Bottom line is, I love your passion. I respect your knowledge. And I love our friendship. Thank you well, so much, Mick, for doing this. Yep. Yeah, it, it goes both ways. You know how much respect I have for you. Boy, that was something. Uh, what a uh, what a genuine, fun-loving, uh, great person Pat Micheletti is. Just enjoyed chatting him up today. We'll do it again for sure. There's just not enough time on one show uh, to get it all in with Pat Micheletti. And, and we want uh, more of your input so you can ping me on uh, on social media. At Gorgomatic21, you've got a a person um, that you'd like me to connect with, stories you'd like to hear, uh, places you'd like us to cover. Wooden Sticks is all about going back in time, a different time in hockey, and tying it back to where we are today. Pat Micheletti brings us back to the 70s and 80s, but it all comes full circle because he's out there right now covering college hockey, all the the great coverage he does for the Gophers and also for the Minnesota Wild. So it's it's a full circle thing. Love your input at Gorgomatic21. Give us a follow there. And then we'd like you to be a part of the show. Whether it's you or somebody you know, there's a business out there that needs a boost, and we'd love to give you that leg up. Contact us and contact Karen Cleary. She's at kcleary, C-L-E-A-R-Y, at talknorth.com. We'd love to promote whatever business it is, whether it's yours or somebody you know, there are so many people that are going to come to Wooden Sticks that maybe don't know about your product or your great company. We'd love to elevate you in that situation. So come to us at kcleary at talknorth.com. Really enjoyed the conversation with Pat Micheletti. Along the way, we're going to hope the Minnesota Wild can continue this push to get into the Western Conference playoffs. I'll be on the road with the Wild, uh, checking in periodically at Gorgomatic21 if you've got any requests or people you want to hear from, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. It's all about the love of the game. It's Wooden Sticks right here on the Talk North Network. I'm Kevin Gork. Looking forward to talking to you again very soon.